Last week we started looking at the book of Romans, but more in the light of Paul, the writer. And so it was Paul, uh, who was the human instrument uh, to, to write the book of Romans. I thought about asking the question, who wrote the book of Romans, but I know I'd get some of the pious answers. Well, God did, actually, and, you know, but... But, uh, so we're learning a little bit more about Paul and his writing and the book of Romans. And my goal is, um, I'm going to end this week. Brother Mike will be back next week. And uh, he's actually traveling today, is that right? Yes. Yep. So. Hallelujah. Couldn't be sooner, huh? <laughs> That's good. Um, all right. So, Paul was a what? Starts with a P. Pharisee, all right. Yeah, I'm waking you guys up a little bit first. All right, his father was a Pharisee. All right. Paul has an extensive use of what and what in his writings. Logic is the one. Reasoning, the other. All right, very good. Paul uses what two main people groups for comparison in his writings? Jews and the Gentiles. Sometimes it talks about the Greeks. That's part of the Gentiles. All right. So I want to give you a little bit of an outline uh, of the book of Romans. You know, and it's kind of good to do that. Brother Mike's been doing that through Hebrews. It kind of simplifies some things. Um, and these all start with a D, which helps out uh, as well. Um, but chapters 1 through 8 are doctrinal in nature. And we're going to look at, uh, if we get to it, this morning to chapter 4. We went through chapter one, and 1 through 3, and I'm going to review that a little bit. But chapters 1 through 8 are doctrinal in nature, uh, expressly talking about the justification of the sinner and the sanctification of the saint. That's pretty much what that's about. A lot of times these, these kind of things help us to, uh, if we, you know, these are some of the things I've been talking to Andy about, you know, but when we get some things in our mind and we're looking for something, if we kind of have these organized in our mind, it kind of helps us to get into the right place and understand the Word of God uh, better. Chapters 9 through 11 are, oh, big word, dispensational in nature in regards to the past, present, and future of Israel particularly. And then chapters 12 through 16 are duty in nature, specifically the responsibilities we have in various relationships, okay? Now, we see that Paul, in the book of Romans, he has what I would call something of a building style. Uh, it's similar in style to the book of Hebrews that we've been studying. Hebrews has three parts, okay? Brother Mike, because I'm, I'm, I'm helping you out, Brother Mike, while you're on the road here. <laughs> All right, so three parts. All start with a P. There is, but hey, make sure I give a good report back to Brother Mike here. All right, first one is person. Next one is, next one is principle. All right, the book of Romans deals with setting doctrine, then the dispensational application to the Jews, and then it concludes with the duty of relationships. You know, as 
Brother Mike said, there's no clear identity given to the writer of Hebrews. However, there would be a great number, and if, I, if a gun was pointed to my head, and I had to say, who wrote the book of Romans, and I couldn't say, I don't know, I had to, had to answer one, I would say it was Paul, because we see by style and association, uh, I think Paul would be the one who we might credit as the writer. But again, it doesn't say. Now, we began looking at the nature of Paul's logic his, or his teaching style or his logical teaching style in the first three chapters of Romans. In chapter 1, Paul starts out with a greeting in verses 1 through 7. Romans 1, 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, Called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a greeting. That's kind of the end of that greeting. He starts there, verses 8 through 13. He makes clear his purpose. And I pulled out some of the words that are used there. He says, I make mention of you always in my prayers. I, that I might have a prosperous journey, this is all on purpose, by the will of God to come unto you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Now, preachers and pastors are gifts to the church. You might impart something to them. And that I may be comforted together with you. Then he ends the address with three I am's. He says, I am in debt to preach. I am ready to preach, and I'm not ashamed to preach. Now, I kind of put a little, my own little words in there, but that's basically what he's saying. Then Paul gives the heading of the message that he's going to impart. A message that is relevant and powerful today as it was to the Romans back then. That the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We see here words that he is going to throw out here in these scriptures. He talks about, and these are key words, and and I'm not so much today trying to expound all of Paul and who he is and how he taught or to expound the book of Romans. But I hope to encourage you, the book of Romans is a book to study. It has a lot in it. You just can't read it. We talked about the book of John. The book of John, it's, it's great to just, just read from. You know, it's stories, it's feelings, it's emotions. It's, uh, at, the, at the home, uh, Patty and I uh, went up um, and we had the whole group together, the ladies and the men, and uh, I just read John chapter 11. And it's Laz raising Lazarus from the dead. And man, it, it was, it's just and easy to go through and easy to look at and ask questions about and, and feel. 
Romans is not quite like that. I mean, you read through it and you say, oh, wait a minute. To the point where you might need to just write a few things down. So I wrote these, some of these words down, and there's more of them as you'll go through it. The righteousness of God. Faith to faith. Speaking of from the faith from the beginning to the faith till now. Faith to faith. That we live by faith. Christ, of course, is a central term. Salvation is brought out. He uses the word everyone. Everyone believeth. He uses the words Jew, Greek, and again he ends, and he's talking about the righteousness of God, faith to faith, and he makes this statement, and here's the out, the just shall live by faith. Now he's going to have a lot of details behind that. These are all important foundational words that will expound in clear detail everything rests on the understanding of these. He is giving his outline before he gives a message. Just like anybody else, or you, you read a book, you can kind of go through the outline first. I mean, I, I notice different of you who come up and teach will kind of do that. So, and then you come back and you start and you start to pick it apart. The rest of chapter 1, states how God without question, without question, has made His glory to be real and true to all men and that He's worthy of all love and honor, unquestionably. But that man knowingly and willfully rejected Him and have brought upon himself Sin resulting in extreme defilement of soul and body. That's kind of how chapter 1 ends. Chapter 2 begins with the conclusion of chapter 1. Therefore, that man, all men, will have no excuse before God. Now, in our human reasoning... We want to say, well, what about the guy that's, you know, lives by himself out in the bush and has never seen anybody in his life? How, you know, all those sort of things. I just know what God said. And if you, if you want to take this stance, I've often thought of this. Okay, show me that man. Bring him here to me. Then he'll have the gospel. <laughs> he'll get the gospel. You just can't prove that everybody hasn't had the truth of the Word of, of God. God says that they all know. We want to question sometimes, God, in that, did you really give everybody a fair chance? That's human reason. We must believe God. Believe Him at His Word. Chapter 2, I said, begins with the conclusion of chapter 1, that nobody has an excuse. He establishes in this two forms of righteousness. And that's where you've got to be careful. You just use one word and you can get confused. Or if you're lazy in mind, you may not pick some of these things up. But he'll use righteousness, but there's 
two righteousness that he's talking about. The righteousness of man, which is judged of the law according to man. It's kind of how nature of man is. We kind of we kind of say that uh, uh, we judge others according to the righteousness of man. This is a good man. Nothing. I don't mean anything by this. This is a bad man. <laughs> good girl, bad girl. You know, you both are bad. <laughs> I mean, bad. <laughs> so. We do that, don't we? That's kind of our like judgment of of people, and there's some like truth in that. Okay, there's some really bad people in the world, and there's some really good people in the world, and so we judge that way. And that's why you ask a lot of people who don't know what God says will revert to, "I feel like I'm a pretty good person." In other words, God has this kind of line, and depending on how good you are, how bad you are, they know how bad the people are over here. We're judging, okay? This makes sense at judges. But over here, you know, I'm good, so I, I, I think I would make it because, see, that's the judgments, the judgments of man. But it says here, when we condemn others, saying who's good and bad, it says in that, we condemn ourselves. And how is that? Proverbs, or Psalms 14.1 The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. This is the Old Testament. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. This is repeated in Psalm 53. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and they have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then Paul quotes in Romans 3.12, They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. It's not changed even from the beginning. So he's saying when we judge others based on man's righteousness of good and bad, we are adding ourselves to that group of unrighteous. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was, that's the righteousness of man. But then there's, he speaks about the righteousness of God. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one. The only one. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the... Does anybody know what the rest of that is? Whole world. world. 
Christ died for the whole world. Not just for the ones who were going to be saved. So we see here that justification is not of man's righteousness, righteousness, but by God's righteousness through Jesus Christ. Titus 3.5 says, Not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Then Paul brings in, he makes sure to talk about the Jews and the Gentiles and discusses the connections and disconnections, tries to straighten this out for his audience and, and what we need straightened out today, for sure. He concludes, first of all, that God is no respecter of persons. That Jews and Gentiles are on equal ground when it comes to salvation. That it is only by faith. And we'll see later in chapter 4 that it has always been by faith from the beginning of time and into the future. Back then it, was an, it wasn't as clear. It was somewhat cloudy and very simple what God said. But it all comes down to God said it, I believe it, I do it. It's really the same principle even today. It's just we know a lot more about the specifics of that and we are responsible to the specifics of that. Our works make us fall short. And Paul brings out that God gave the law that we can clearly see that every man falls short. I love it. I'm not just, I think... It's how smart God, God is. He's not willing to let any man find some way to justify himself before God. That every man is guilty. And so he has the law that anybody who stands to the law can't stand. He is guilty of all. And Paul brings this out. I love it. This is the good thing of reading the book of Romans. It explains some, some things pretty simply. Paul also makes some, dis, some other distinct, distinctions between the Jew and the Gentile. Number one, he says the Jews were mainly different because really they were given the duty to handle the word of God. That was a job that was given uh, to that nation. He, talks, he talked about the law to the Jews. That the law is in reference to the Jews, but he also said that the Gentiles had a law unto themselves. So they both had law. So kind of, yeah, there's a little distinction, but not really. He talks about the Jews having the seal of circumcision. But then that true circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh. And that a Jew is one of the spiritual circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. And it's not talking about a physical thing there. It's talking about a spiritual thing. It's talking about a relationship to God. That spiritually speaking, all those, including Gentiles who believe by faith, are inferred to being Jews spiritually. We are the children of God. God's called out ones. 
the general conclusion, oh, well, one of the things in chapters 9 through 11, which I mentioned, that this portion, gives distinction to the Jewish nation and their specific purpose that was in the past, that is currently in the present, and what will be in the future. So there is a difference there in, in God dealing with that, and he's still yet to deal with them in the future. Now the general conclusion is that all sinful mankind, their justification, their justification before God, just as if I had not sinned, is through Christ, through His righteousness, and that it is received by faith, and you will see that faith, because He's, he's talking about works and what they do, how you know Him, it always results in repentance. Those are big words. They just happen. They have to happen together. You can't separate them. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's, it's all part of it. You know, there's... It comes together, faith and repentance. Chapter 3 concludes with Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, not ours. We have not. We have not. For the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. He says, where is boasting then? There is none. I think it was Andy Utsi who told me, as I was asking him about the Amish faith, he said, to say that you're saved, they feel is a proud statement. That you can say that you're saved. If you're saved by nothing of yourself, that's the most humble statement there is. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? He brings up questions. you got to love Paul how he does this. Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith. In other words, circumcision, the Jews. He's going to justify them by faith. And uncircumcision, the Gentiles. So he brings in this, because there was a struggle with this stuff there. And uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? 
In other words, now that we have faith, we don't have to worry about the law. Laws, you don't do that anymore. He says, God forbid. <laughs> Yea, we establish the law. Paul makes it very clear that the law is not obsolete. It's still alive and working. <laughs> it's good and it's valid. And it is good to follow, but it's impossible to fully keep and it's powerless to save. He's simply putting the law in its rightful place. And it has its place. Chapter 3 defines the righteousness of God and explains justification by faith. Now chapter 4 is going to illustrate. It's a big illustration of justification by faith. We're going to see this through a chronological examination. This is the way I looked at it as I studied. I'm seeing a chronological order here. Particularly through the life of Abraham and David. So we have Abraham. His call. Abraham. And maybe Paul, if he had a whiteboard and a blue marker, he might do this. I don't know. <laughs> Abraham is called. Abraham. His circumcision. Um, you have the law. Moses. You have David. Okay. You agree with the order? Okay. He's laying it out. Can't argue that, right? You get to things you can't argue this. All right. So then he says in Romans 4.1, What shall we say then? That Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, and he just got done talking about this in the first few chapters, he hath whereof to glory. In other words, what he's saying, he's got something to brag about. But it says, but not before God. Because <laughs> when you put God in the picture, you don't look like much. Job had that issue. <laughs> Until he saw God for who he was. He, he, he kind of was glorying a little bit in himself. It says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now where did that belief, what, what part of this did that come from? He said he believed God. It was his call. He said he believed God, and he, and he went. That's where righteousness, where he became righteous. He believed. Key word. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So... 
And that's what, and, and you think about it, that's what people, the natural thought of our righteousness is, the other thing is works. In other words, how good am I? And then what I do? I go to church. I do this, I do that. My works is the tendency uh, because it's of debt. <laughs> like I'm paying God back. I'll tell you what. Um, you're just celebrating one year from the groundbreaking of your house. And it said some really nice things about the help that you've gotten. And uh, you know what? There's a, there can be a feeling of debt like you owe me something. That's not biblical, folks. You don't owe me anything. It's my joy to do it. Okay? That's the way we think. We want to pay God back. You know, yeah, I sinned, so I'll do all these good things to make it back. You know, actually, what I'm hoping to do is inspire to, for you to pay it forward. And even greater. So, I hope you're seeing some of these things that God has for us. It's, it's not reckoned of debt. But to him that worketh not, okay, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Abraham didn't know where he is going, what he was doing, but he believed God. Him who is righteous, who could make no mistake, who provided it all. It's his faith in him, and obviously his actions follow. Okay? Even as David, it says, go to David, also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, he says, without works. He was past the law, you know, the law... He was living in the law where there was a lot of works and what you do and all those things, but he knew that it was without works that it was by belief. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Holy Spirit, get a hold of your heart. You might be driving down the road and you have that realization. It's easy for me to go back and I know my sinful nature, my past, and things I've done. And God's not going to impute that because of His righteousness. Man. Man, that's good. Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only? Past here? He's saying, is that, is that on the, only from here on? Is that imputed? <laughs> or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision? Or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, 
but it was in uncircumcision. And he had received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. We sing the song. You ever wonder why we sing that song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. This is why. <laughs> because he was going to be a father of many nations. This was the promise. The Jews had a purpose and a place, but it's not exclusive to them. It says, For the promise, verse 13, that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. If you place it over here, then this is made of none effect. That's what he's saying. Okay, you see how you kind of gotta you gotta stop and think about what he's saying, kind of write it down, and you might have to write some things out and see what he's saying. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. <laughs> for it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise, the promise, this is where the promise was given, might be sure to all the seed, not to only that which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and called those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body dead when he was about and hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's interesting. He uses this, right? He says, <clears throat> the deadness of him and the deadness of Sarah's womb. What he's saying is, they're too old to have children. Can't happen. It's dead. He staggered not, though, at the promise of God through unbelief. In other words, he said, you will have a son. You will have a son coming out of your bowels, okay? He said, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, when it was impossible, when all the circumstances were there, no matter what you see, and, and listen, is this not applicable to us today? <laughs> but God said what he said, he promised what he promised, and we can trust it. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also, was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. 
Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. I want you to think about this. The womb of Sarah was a tomb, a place of death. And out of it, though, came life. Abraham believed in God and that he could raise to life the dead because God had promised. And he showed that in a couple different areas. But one is he was going to raise life out of an old lady. <laughs> he rejoiced to see the promise fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. Okay? He had a promise, but he, he knew. He said, how am I, how am I going to be this, a father of many nations? I don't have a son. All I have is this Eleazar. Right? But it was more than Isaac that he saw. It was the line of blessings and generations to come. It was the line to Christ through whom the whole world could receive by faith. Abraham's faith became sight at the birth of Christ. But his faith saw something much, or at the birth of uh, Isaac. But he saw something much farther in the future. Something beyond his lifetime. We would turn to John chapter 8, beginning in verse 46. John chapter 8. Verse 46. John 8, 46. Which of you con convinceth me of sin? And he's talking to the Pharisees here. And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? It's believing the Word of God. It was... In the flesh speaking to them. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. Wow, that was some strong words to the Pharisees, weren't they? Woo! Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me and I seek not mine own glory there is one that seeketh and judgeth remember we're talking about judging and how they judge a man's judgment that if Jews have fallen into that there's one that seeks and judge verily verily I say unto you if a man keep my saying he shall never see death then said the Jews unto him now we know that thou hast a devil Abraham is dead and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, I, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. Isn't that a humbling statement there? It's amazing. Christ as God, put him, what he put himself under. In other words... Somebody else has to honor him. 
It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. In other words, he said, I can't deny this. Otherwise, I would lie. But I know him and keep his saying. Then he says this, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Abraham not only saw Isaac, he saw the future. He saw the Messiah. He saw Christ's day and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and thou hast seen Abraham. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. They knew what he was saying there. They took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And the last verse, Who was delivered in, uh, in Romans chapter 4? Who, who was delivered for our offenses? and was raised again for our justification. Our faith is not only that Jesus died and paid for our sins, but it is also in the faith that He freed us from the power of death, hell, and the grave by His resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, all, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immorality, immortality, <laughs> immortality, <laughs> then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Faith. We believe. We don't see, just like Abraham. He didn't know. He just believed and went. He trusted in God's promises, and that's what we need to do as well. And so I'll conclude with that in the book of Romans. And we examine Paul. We understand Paul and his writing. He's logical and, he's, and he reasons things out that it's a book to be studied. It's, it's not a quick read. And you got to go back and you got to look at things. You got to see his logic and how he goes through things. So what I hope to do through these last two weeks while Mike's been gone away is that I would encourage you to study, study the book of Romans to look at it. You'll be amazed of all what's in there and it'll bless your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
your blessed word that we can teach and how Paul was teaching uh, through the book of Romans. What wonderful truths there are and what encouragement there is in it and what clarity there is and how the pieces of God's word, the puzzle, gets more clearly put together through his words. And now, Father, I just pray that uh, you would encourage each of us to do the work, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Father, I pray you instill that in our hearts, that you encourage us, and that we would enjoy your word like it should be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed till five or ten minutes or so. Good morning. Oh.